I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Some of you have been here long enough to know that I have been preaching in the past through uh, the first books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I think we all agreed, the session at least, after I preached Leviticus, we needed a little break. I led that charge. I need a little break. Uh, And then the book of Numbers, uh, a long narrative section. And then Deuteronomy, which is less narrative and is really a collection of sermons that Moses delivered to Israel on the eve of their entering into the land of promise who would be led by Joshua. The final words of Moses, the second law, the giving of uh, these commands to Israel, even as he gave the law to the first generation, he now gives it to the second generation. I'm going to read chapter 1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahem. It is eleven days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea, in the fortieth year, on the first day of the eleventh month, eleventh month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. After he had defeated Sion, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtoreth and in Idri, beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain, that is the Mount Mountain of Sinai, or Mount Sinai. Turn and take your journey, and go to the hill country of the Amorites, and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland, and in the Negev, and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land. The Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. At that time, I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers, and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone. For the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites. 
As the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near and said, let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. The things seemed good to me. And I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Escol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the land of the Amorites, to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet... In spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out, a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. And the Lord Lord heard your words and was angered and he swore, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account and said, You also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there, and to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Then you answered me, we have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up or fight, for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, and you would not listen But you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down in Seir as far as Hormah. And you returned and wept before the Lord 
But the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. Thus far, the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, give us wisdom and understanding as your word is preached. May it be the means by which righteousness is sown in us that a harvest of it might be reaped in due time. Have your way with us and make us your profitable servants, we pray in your name. Amen. I love to see how long it takes me to read these Old Testament passages. All right, eight minutes. Eight minutes. Sometimes the reading of God's Word can stand alone. I think stories like this are helpful because they remind us what has happened. Uh, It is the history of the first and second generation of Israel. Deuteronomy represents, as I said already, the final words, the second giving of the law by Moses. And you'll find that throughout this book, the voice of the Lord and the voice of Moses are almost interchangeable. So you don't always know exactly who is speaking unless you're really paying attention. Moses comes to the second generation. And he says to them, you are in a similar circumstance as your parents were. Remember what they did and do not do the same. Remember, even now, as your parents rejected my offer and command to enter into the land of promise because of fear, because they did not believe the voice of the Lord, we see that in verse 32, Despite all that God had done, Israel refused to follow him. Will you do the same? This is a question not just for the generation of Israel that saw their parents die in the wilderness. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says that this is a question for every generation of the church. Will you be faithful? Look at the unfaithfulness of those in the past. Will you see the wages of their sin and enter into the rest that God has to offer? That's the question. And not only will you enter into that rest, but how will you live as members in that land of promise? Three points that I want to make tonight. The first, words from east of the Jordan. Words from east of the Jordan. We see that in verses 1 through 8. Second, leaders appointed. We see that in verses 9 through 18. And then third, faced with the same choice. Verses 19 through 46. Faced with the same choice. Let's look at this first heading that I have applied to this text. Remember that headings, sermon headings, are always a bit arbitrary. They are helpful in that they teach us and help us organize Um, the movements of the passage, their themes, their ideas. And what we see first is Moses is telling Israel to leave Mount Sinai, Horeb, and go to the border of the land of promise. The Lord is bringing them back just to the edge, to the border. And there, God will remind them how they are to live. It is a similar circumstance, a similar challenge, a similar opportunity. 
Will they cross over? Will they trust and obey? And it is here, as God is preparing them to move to the Jordan, that he reminds them why they are not yet in the land of promise. And it is not by mistake. It is not by accident. It is not because of what is in the land. It is because God caused them to wander. For 40 years, as God had said, he judged Israel. Now, there is not a single living Israelite except Moses, Joshua, and Caleb alive that is over the age of 40. This is a young church. (laughs) These are young saints. These are people who have walked with the Lord. Some of them are 40. Some of them were probably born right after God said, nope, you go back to the wilderness. Some have born, of course, between those, the beginning and the end of the curse, those 40 years. And what we see in verses 3 through 4, in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord commanded or had given him. After he had defeated Sion, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Eshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan. And this is what he says. This forms the first sermon in the book of Deuteronomy. And he is reminding Israel of their disobedience and the reason for judgment. God is, through Moses, making it very clear He is the one that has orchestrated judgment. And this temporary judgment upon Israel has a purpose. One of those purposes is to get rid of the old generation, to kill them, to bring them to a place where they will not enter the land, as he said. It is punishment, and it is a just punishment. It is a just punishment because God warned them, And he said, if you do not enter, this is what will happen. And we'll look at why they did not enter in a moment. We'll diagnose the sin condition. But what the the second generation, and I would imagine if you were there, you you may wonder about the wondering. Why? Why so long? Who's in charge? What is going on? In fact, the life of this church represents a tenth of the wandering of Israel. So don't ever say, I'm tired of this. (laughs) You just began. You've only just begun. And you may wonder, when is it going to end? Hopefully you're not thinking of that about the sermon even right now. Sometimes it feels like that. Moses is saying to Israel... This is God's design. God is in control. God is the judge. And despite God's judgment that is brought upon you, your families, when I say you and when Moses says you, he means the nation. By God's design, he brings judgment, but not only judgment, but what we see beginning in verse 9 is he also brings them immense growth. 
Now we'll get to the appointment of those leaders in a moment and why they were appointed. It, it resembles the appointment of judges earlier when Jethro comes to Moses and he says, you need help. And that is where the office of elder was established in the Old Testament. And they were to rule and judge based upon the law. It will happen again because all of those elders have died. They're gone. And the oldest elder in Israel at this point would be 40 years old. So maybe there's some prescription there. It says we seek officers. We ought not to look down at them upon their youth. Every man who was appointed to be an elder of Israel was young. The quality that matters is righteousness. In fact, there's a lot to say about righteous men. Not only Moses and Joshua and Caleb and what made them righteous, what constitutes their righteousness. But what we find here from the words of Moses east of the Jordan is not just a reminder that God brought judgment and it is a specific judgment and it does not last any longer than he has said. 40 years, the 40 years are up. Parents, have you ever said to your kids, all right, you've disobeyed, you're going to get three spankings. And in the heat of the moment, you give six. That is unjust punishment. It's too severe. The punishment must fit the crime. And God has given Israel very clear boundaries as to his judgment. And it's up. It's over. God is reminding and reassuring them. Your period of languishing is over. It is a definite judgment. So that Israel does not say, God is being too harsh. And not just because it is definite and he is true to his word, but because it has also reached its end. It has achieved its purpose to get rid of the old generation and to start afresh and anew. And what he is showing this new generation is that even though men are faithless, he is faithful. Judgment here does not constitute absence. It constitutes purposeful sanctification. He is sanctifying and bringing Israel to a place of humility so that they will not act like their parents did. Is this not what God's judgment often does with us? Children, this is why your parents discipline you. It is to break you of your sin habits, your sin inclinations, to teach you that wandering from the Lord is dangerous. Sometimes they do it well. Sometimes they do not. Sometimes you obey, sometimes you do not. God's judgments are right and true. And they are not testimony of his unfaithfulness. They are testimony of his faithfulness. That he is good, that he cannot tolerate sin, but he still, he still is true to his promises. For even as one generation was dying, he was multiplying Israel as he did while they were in Egypt. Despite harsh circumstances, Israel was growing to the point that they needed new leaders again. And we ought to let the faithfulness of God inform the manner in which we relate to him. 
It doesn't just mean when things are easy, God is pleased with us. Sometimes God brings judgment upon the church like he is doing now in order to purify us. In moments of conflict, we ought not say, is God doing this? The answer is, well, yes. And to what end? Well, for the Christian, that end is always clear. For the purpose of my growth in grace. For my holiness. As far as I am concerned, judgment from God is always to bring me to a place of further trust, obedience, and reliance upon him. God is preparing Israel for life beyond the Jordan. For life across the river. Where a life of faith and trust and obedience is essential unless you wish to be cast out of the land. And so, second, we see leaders appointed. We see this in the New Testament. Paul in Timothy is writing to Timothy so that he might know how to pastor when Paul is not there. Moses is writing to Israel, and he's preaching, and he is saying, this is how you live under the law when you are there. It is not just enough to have the law once given and written, but it must be implemented in everyday life. And many Christians look at the law that is codified in the Old Testament, they say, that's too much. How many rules, parents, do you have in your home? Just start counting them. Dozens. Why? Because they are case laws for the Ten Commandments. When you say, sweetheart, don't touch the stove, you are saying, thou shalt not kill, right? To promote and preserve life. Don't play in the street. Don't hit your brother. Thou shalt not kill. I keep doing the thou shalt not kill one. Children are violent creatures who like to do self-harm and other people harm, right? Am I wrong? Do not lie. Thou shalt not bear false witness. The law of God in the Old Testament is God's way of leading a spiritually immature people into a place of maturity. What do you do if your ox accidentally gores someone? That's going to happen. What if you accidentally run over somebody with your car? Well, thank goodness there are laws that help us sort those things out. And there are judges and juries. There are righteous persons, and here, righteous men, leaders of the church, the Old Testament people of God, who will help Israel remain holy. You and I need help in holiness. We are not holy by default. As one man said, we are stuck on stupid. That was an elder who said that to me. So I feel like I can say that from the pulpit. We are. Because we're broken and sinful. I mean, parents, in one day, how many times do you repeat the same law? And it's not because your kids forget it. Oh, for God. No, you didn't. You just don't want to obey it. And so you have first offense rules, 
You have second offense rules, and then you have third, right? Escalating punishments for willfulness of disobedience. All of these things are an organization of God's moral law. And he is saying through Moses, his servant, to Israel, if you are going to live in the land, you're going to need help. You need leaders. The leaders need leaders. In my short time as a member of... Uh, the Presbytery of the Southeast, I have seen three men undergo trials. Ministers of the gospel. That's like one every three years. Why? Because we're broken. And there are all these rules. And people say, well, I don't want to belong to a church with rules. And I'll say, well, have fun with no protection. Not only for yourself, but for others from you. And we live in a society that despises rules, except they don't actually despise rules. They despise the rules of others, and they especially despise the rules of God. They don't wish to be held accountable, while at the same time holding others accountable. The hypocrisy, it rises to the level of a noxious stench. But God wishes Israel to be judged in righteousness in the same way that he judges them in righteousness. The Lord is like you would take a baby and hold its hands as they're walking. The Lord has been doing this with Israel. It has been 40 years of breaking Israel down and building them up, helping them learn to walk so that when they go into the land, they may continue to walk with him faithfully. Because if they don't, they will be spit out of the land. It it, it magnifies the grace of God. And if they need help, well, they can bring in Moses. If these problems get to be too great, Moses can be brought in. So blessed was the size of Israel. They had to elect and install and ordain new elders. This is what we should pray for in the church. And the reason is because you and I need governance. Israel was to maintain a righteous order. Israel was to have always placed before them the law of God as a shining beacon of how they should live. And then, finally, they're faced then with the same choice. It's a little bit of deja vu. In fact, when I first read it, I thought, wait, am I reading the right book? Yes. In fact, this is the manual for church planting in every generation. Remember how it's done poorly. This is how it ought to be done. This is how you ought to walk. Every generation of the church ought to look at that generation in the wilderness that perished. This is what the writer of Hebrews tells us. Therefore, do not cease or do not fail 
to enter into that rest. But enter into that rest. Now, we hold this. Christ is the rest. Christ is the New Testament Yeshua, Joshua. They have the same name for crying out loud. Why? Because we need to see that Joshua is leading us into the land of promise. He is able to do it. Do not like, be like that old generation. Verses 19 through 46, that's what we see. Forty years past the point. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke. And he said, be careful. Grow or organize yourself in such a way that you do not grow beyond the law. And remember what happened in the past. Children, your parents have probably said to you, especially if you're teenagers, there are mistakes that I made when I was your age that I don't want you to ever have to make. And you may say, I just want to make my own mistakes. I say that bitterly because I've heard it come out of my teenagers' mouths. Let me make my own mistakes. Okay? Are you prepared to wander? Are you prepared to feel the wrath of God? God is not impressed with your independence. What he's impressed with is obedience. And I'm here to tell you, I'm speaking to my children still, not from the pulpit, but sometime in the past. Don't do what I did. Learn from one. This is the whole point of the book of Proverbs. Young men, listen. This is how you keep your feet from evil. And it's not because I'm better. It's because I walked down those paths and I saw they led to nowhere. But death and destruction. And by God's grace, he delivered me. But God does not always deliver So why did the Israelites not enter into the land? Why did they rebel? Well, because the people were big and scary. They did not want to have to fight. They were handicapped by cowardice and laziness. They feared men rather than God. Does this sound like the church in the 21st century? It sounds like the church in every century. It sounds like the fight that the church militant must always be resolved to fight. And in every century of the church, this decision is made in the face of the promise of God, not, I'm going to send you there, good luck, but I'm going, are you coming with me? Are you going with him? When Israel did cross into the Jordan, do you remember the sequence of the march? Who went first? The priests carrying the ark. That which represented God's holy presence. God went before them. God always goes before you in the fight. That is, your cowardice is never warranted. It is always an act of open rebellion. And now that may sound harsh, but it is just the way it is. All of these children, many of whom are very much now grown, saw their parents fall because they did not fear God. They feared man. 
when David encountered Goliath. David, though a great musician and very handsome, was not big. He was a small person. There was none in Israel who would go out against Goliath. And every day Goliath would come out from the ranks of the Philistine army and he would mock God. And then one day David shows up on the battlefield to bring his brother's food. And he hears him for the first time. And he hears Goliath. And he sees the king of Israel, Saul, the tallest man in Israel, doing nothing. The king in his armor, no courage. And David was so offended, so angry, so jealous for the glory of God. He says, is no one going to do anything about this blasphemer? And so what does he do? Well, he says, I'll fight him. And Israel, still thinking like the old generation, tries to dress David in Saul's armor, but it's way too big. David goes out. He grabs some smooth stones, five. It only took one. And he stands before Goliath as he spewed forth profanity and blasphemy. David swings his sling and drives a stone straight into his head, knocking him out down to the ground. David walks over to Goliath. He picks up Goliath's own spear and he cuts his head off. Don't say anything offensive online. Don't challenge the world. You see, the thought of every Israelite there on the border was, look how big they are. And the heart of David was, as one pastor would say, they're so big I can't miss. The reality is this. It's never David versus Goliath. It is always Christ against Satan. And we have a promise that Christ will not fail. Not only is it tied to his victory in the resurrection, they, of course, did not have this in the Old Testament, but they saw God every single day of their lives manifested in smoke and in fire. And yet they were afraid. And they refused to enter. How did they disobey? Well, they gave a bad report, a false report. That's what the spies did. They came back to the people of Israel and they said, we can't do it. Except for two. There is outright disobedience, which we see in verse 26. There's murmuring in verse 27. And instead of following the Lord, they stopped short. Many people in the church stop short. They want the blessings of the church, but they don't want the sufferings of the cross. They will go so far like Peter. Lord, I will go to death with you. And yet Peter does what? Three times when his life is on the line, he says, I don't know who Jesus is. I I don't know that man. I have no idea who you're talking about. Orthodoxy? I don't know. I'm not a Christian. I want my job. I want to be comfortable. 
at times, brothers and sisters, to follow God into that land where unbelievers need to be dealt with, it requires that we walk by faith and not by sight, and we put God's words to the test. And this is how God likes to be tested, that we stand firm upon His words. Every generation is faced with that same choice. Will we be the children that don't grow up to be anything other than like their parents? Because the penalty is judgment. Deuteronomy 1 is Moses' initial altar call. It's his call to faith. Let's go. You are presented with the same circumstances and you have seen God's faithfulness. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8 as it relates to our status as the children of God, especially in Christ Jesus. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is our eternal state. And we see the world and we think, no, 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 no. Can't do that. It's too much. It's too hard. It's too much work. And that is why Moses warns that there is a judgment. There is a judgment for those who fail to enter into the rest. And so, brothers, we are faced, and sisters, with a choice every day. Will we follow our conquering king? Will we labor for the work of the kingdom Will we seek to keep his law, his word, or will we be like that first generation? I pray that by God's grace we will be faithful. Let's pray. Oh Lord, even now.